All right. Um, my name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at Doxa Church. My wife and I and our three daughters, and I can now say three daughters because our third was born last month. And uh, just pray for us. She seems to be allergic to sleeping. Uh, so please, please pray for us, for real. Um, we are, we're moving to Plymouth, Massachusetts next summer to begin the work of planting a church. Uh, Phil Naparella, who's a member here, uh, many of you know Phil, he's moving with us. At least he's preparing to make the move. And uh, we're, we're so happy for that. Uh, you, can, you can make a legitimate case that most areas in the United States need more healthy churches. You can make that case for almost everywhere in the United States. Uh, but in New England, you don't even have to make a case. It's pretty obvious for anyone who has lived there or who has spent a significant amount of time there that there is a tremendous need for gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches um, where people are discipled and communities are transformed for the glory of God. And by God's grace, that is what we're going to do in Plymouth. And we're praying that God will do the same thing right here in the Grand Strand. You know, every one of you who are members here, you have a part in what is going to happen in Massachusetts over the next few decades through the planting of this church. And I, I really don't think I'm overstating that. Through your prayers, through your giving, through some of you sacrificing to make the move up north, God will use you. I believe this. God will use you to make an eternal difference. And I mentioned that Phil is moving with us. I want to ask all of you, every single one of you here, to pray and ask if the Lord would have you come with us. Ask the Lord if he would have you come to a place where less than 2% of the population identifies as a Christian. Ask the Lord if he would have you come so that we can make disciples together. I'm, I'm praying very hard that the Lord would call some of you to be a part of this. And if the prospect of being part of a church plant, planting a church in an area of the country where no one is interested in another church plant, if that is something that excites you, then I would love to talk with you. You are just the kind of person, you're just the kind of family that we have been praying for. Well, I would love, love to talk more about Plymouth and about church planning, but that's not why we're here this morning. We have a beautiful passage of scripture to look at together as we begin this new sermon series on Advent. So why don't we pause for a moment here, take a second and pray and ask the Lord to help us before we look at our text. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as people who love you and deeply need you. We confess that we are a sinful people in need of a Savior. We confess that we've failed to love you in thought, word, and deed. We confess that our sin, it hasn't just corrupted us as individuals, but we, we acknowledge and we confess that our sin has infected our society and institutions and all of creation, Lord. We come to you because we need your forgiveness. So we pray and we 
We thank you that you've, you've delivered us. We ask that you would deliver us and, and forgive us of our sins for your namesake, O oh Lord. Restore us, God. Let your face shine upon us that we might be saved. Thank you, Father, that you forgive the humble. You forgive the, the contrite that come to you. We pray together that you would make us a people who each and every day are growing in our understanding of how bad we truly need you. Father, we pray together this morning for your bride. We pray for the church. God, help us, all of us who are your people, to reflect your goodness, to reflect your glory to the world around us. We pray that our love for you, that our love for one another would be compelling Lord, this can be a dangerous thing for us to pray, but we ask that you would purify and beautify your church. You are the potter, we are the clay. Shape us and mold us in a way that leads to you being glorified. Father, I wanna pray for the many parents and young children that we have in our congregation. Lord, thank you for the blessing that children are to our church. We pray that you would help parents and members here at DOXA model for these children what it means and what it looks like to really love you. Help the children to sense that you are the most important thing in our lives, especially this Christmas season. Help them to sense that. We pray that parents would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened in their faith in a way that filters down to their children. Lord, as we begin this Advent season, we ask that you would set our eyes, that you would fix our gaze firmly on you. Lord, we know that our attention is gonna be pulled in a thousand different directions in these coming weeks. And God, we need you to keep our hearts on you. We, we will fail in that, Lord. We need you to do it, so we pray that you do that. Do that for your glory and for our joy. As we open your word together this morning, we pray that it would come alive. Bring life to your word through the power of your spirit. Convict us, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, Lord. Kill the spirit of performance and, and works-based righteousness that every single one of us has. Teach us what it means to rest in your grace and praise you from our hearts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if the name Richard Wormbrand means anything to you, but his life and his story has had an impact on me. Wormbrand was a pastor in Eastern Europe during World War II. And in 1944, when the Soviet Union began to occupy Romania, attempting to establish a communist regime there, Wormbrand, he started ministering to and sharing the gospel with the soldiers. He was a man who overflowed with love for Christ, love for his fellow man. Well, eventually the government would come to control the churches there, significantly muzzling the message of the gospel. And that's when Wormbrand began an underground ministry to the people there. He started an underground church movement in Romania. Well, eventually, Wormbrand was caught by the government. He was thrown into prison. 
And what he experienced there is really hard to fathom. You can read about what he went through and what he experienced in his book, Tortured for Christ. And just from the title of the book, you have a little bit of an idea what happened to him. And if you're going to read that book, uh, read it on an empty stomach because it is, it's graphic and it's, um, it's hard to read. Well, I'm not going to give you a whole, a whole biography on Wormbrand here, but Richard and his wife, Sabina, they would go on to found the Voice of the Martyrs in 1967. And that group continues to do uh, tremendous work serving persecuted Christians, serving the persecuted church around the world. Well, in, in Wormbrand's book, Tortured for Christ, he has a quick little line there that I want to share with you. And I want this quote to sort of hang in the air for us as we look at our text together. Wormbrand writes, I have found jubilant Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. I'm going to read that for you again. I have found jubilant Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. And this was a man who spent significant time in the United States and throughout, throughout the world, obviously. Now his statement there, it may be a little bit of hyperbole. I don't know if I can say I completely agree with what he said, at least in my own experience. But regardless, I think there's something for us to think about together this morning. What does it mean for us to be jubilant, to be joyful, to be praise-filled Christians? Does it mean we have to start jumping around with our hands in the air every time a worship song comes on in the church? Maybe a praise-filled Christian is someone who always puts on their stoic face and their calm demeanor as they receive difficult or troubling news. We're entering a season where lots of people are going to be looking for joy and happiness and love, lots of good tidings and great cheer. I would suggest there's going to be a significant level of artificial happiness, of artificial praise in the air, even in the church. But what does it mean, what does it look like for us as the people of God to be full of joy and to be filled with praise? Well, we as 21st century Christians, we have a lot to learn from a teenage girl in the first century. Our text this morning is one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Outside of the Lord's Prayer, the Magnificat, or Mary's Song of Praise, as it's also known, it is perhaps the most quoted passage in all of Scripture. Now, if you've, if you've been around church, if you grew up in church, you probably have an idea of the context surrounding what Mary's saying here and what was read in our scripture reading. But I want to take just a second here and make sure we're all on the same page with the context of Mary's song. Because context is always important. It always matters. But in this case, it really does make all the difference. So the, the Mary here that we, again, that we heard about in our scripture reading, Mary is a teenage girl from Nazareth. She's engaged to be married to Joseph. Mary, of course, is also the mother of our Lord. And by this time, she is, um, she's pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ. She's already received the news from the angel Gabriel that she will be the one to give birth to the Messiah. If you have your Bible, flip back a page or so to Luke 1, 30 to 33. Let's just read this together. The angel Gabriel 
He's appeared to Mary. She's afraid. She doesn't know what's going on. And this is what he says to her. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now this may sound like really great news, and it is really great news, but put yourself in the shoes of Mary just for a second here. She's engaged to be married. She's never been with a man before, and now she's told she will be the one to give birth to the Messiah. She's told that she will be the one to bear the Christ that her people have been waiting for for a couple thousand years. Can you imagine what this young girl must have been thinking what this young girl must have been feeling, Mary would respond to the angel that she is the servant of the Lord and to let it be according to what she's been told. What faith, what trust Mary has in her God. Well, after a visit to a relative, Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, that's when we come to Mary's song of praise. Now, what I want to try to do this morning is really look at the substance in the praise in Mary's song. What can we learn from Mary that will fuel hearts of praise in each one of us? We need to have, first, a good definition of what praise actually is, and I'm going to get there for us in just a minute. But even before that, I want to point out that praise begins with an inward disposition. Praise begins with an inward disposition. Look again at verses 46 and 47. Mary's song of praise, it begins with her saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Praise doesn't begin with outward demonstrations of piety. It doesn't start with hands raised and singing and dancing or whatever else you might think it is. It could lead to that, and oftentimes it does, but it doesn't start there. Praise begins with an inward recognition of who God is, and it starts with a heavy dose of humility, recognizing that he is mighty and we are not. Praise begins in our hearts, and praise is the result, and it is the response of a heart that worships God. Now here's my very simple definition of praise. So simple that you should be able to remember it, no problem. To praise God is to boast about him. It's to thank him, to celebrate him, to honor him. Matthew Henry describes praise as the result of a soul overflowing with joy. God is praised only through a humble and dependent heart, as Mary is going to show us here. It's the humble and the dependent who are able to praise God, give him the praise that he deserves. Now, in, in the Hebrew, there's different words used to describe different aspects of praise. Sometimes praise goes forth from a, a quiet voice or a hand raised or an instrument. But authentic praise of God, 
Authentic praise has to come from a heart, from the heart of an individual who understands what God has done and understands who God is. As we look at Mary's song, really we see that the substance of her praise, it can be divided into those two categories. First, she's praising God for what he's done for her, and then she praises God for who he is. Look again at verses 48 and 49. She says, For he has looked on his, the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Brothers and sisters, if we are to be Christians who are filled with praise, we have to remember what God has done for us. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you always have reason to give your praise to God. Regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, even when things seem really, really dark and really, really difficult in our lives, we have reason for praise. Remember, I, I'm not saying that you have to fake some outward act of devotion. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying our hearts can be filled with joy that results in praise even as we wrestle with sorrow. We really can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing when we remember what God has done. Look, I know, I know some of you here today, you are carrying heavy burdens. Christmas is here and maybe you're not sure how you're gonna pay for it all this year. Some of you have a, a family member or a friend or maybe you yourself have been diagnosed with a medical condition that is less than favorable. Maybe you struggle with fear and doubt and uncertainty in your life. Others of us are just plain worn down and tired. Friend, if any of those things describe you and you are a Christian, if you'll remember what God has done for you, it will add a pep in your step this Christmas season and it will help you, it will help your heart to sing songs of praise to God. Let's pause here for a second. Let's take a minute together to remember some of what God has done for us. And we could go on for a long time here, but let's, let's take a second and just remind one another. Let's remember what God has done for us. First, if you are a Christian, God has delivered you from sin. If you're a Christian, God has delivered you from sin. Now, if that doesn't cost you that doesn't cause your heart to celebrate and praise, either you don't have a pulse or you don't understand the depth of what you've been delivered from. Paul in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sin destroys us. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. It wrecks havoc in our world. And Christ redeems us. He restores us. He makes us whole again. And one day he'll fully restore the world to what it was originally created to be. Oh, what reason for us to praise from our hearts. I can't remember where I heard this or who said this, but this 
simple statement has always stuck with me. I heard a Christian say one time, if God never does another thing for me, he's already done infinitely more than I deserve. If God never does another thing for me, he's already done infinitely more than I deserve. What a true statement. Maybe we fail to live lives filled with praise because we forget this very basic but so profound truth. God has delivered us from sin. Next, let's remember that in delivering us from sin, God has saved us from his wrath. In delivering us from sin, God has saved us from his wrath. I don't think this phraseology is as common as it used to be. At least I don't hear it as much. But people used to describe their Christian conversion experience. And I guess they they still do in some cases. But they describe it by saying, I got saved today. Or I got saved tonight. Well, the natural response is to say, saved from what? What were you saved from? And the answer is, Save from the holy and just wrath of God. God has delivered us from the wrath that is to come in and through the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus delivers us from the punishment that all of us deserve. If you're a Christian, what reason for praise? What reason to have a heart filled with praise towards God? You can say, I have been delivered. I have been freed from the punishment of hell that I deserve. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you should know that because God is good, because he's holy, because he's just, he cannot let those who break his law and rebel against him go unpunished. And that's all of us, by the way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's law. We've all rebelled against him. All of us in our own way have said, my way is better than yours. But you should also know that God deeply loves his people. And all who place their faith and trust in Jesus, they escape the just wrath and punishment that we deserve because Jesus took it for us on the cross. You know, we pray all the time, every day, I'm not exaggerating that. Every day we pray that through the ministry of this church, that people would come to trust in Jesus Christ as their savior. And maybe there's someone here today that for the, for the first time, you can join with all of us in praising God because you realize that Jesus has delivered you from the wrath to come. We pray for that. And if that's you this morning, If God is doing a work in your heart or he's done a work in your heart, we want to celebrate that with you. So please don't slip out without talking to anyone. Next, brothers and sisters, let's also remember that God has secured our future and our eternity. God has secured our future and our eternity. So if you're taking notes, that's the third reason I've given um, for why we have reason to praise God for what he's done secured our future and our eternity. Both our time on this earth and our time forever with God in heaven. Those, both those things, they are secure. I don't, I don't know about all of you. I doubt I'm the only one who struggles with this, but I struggle sometimes with what the future might hold. I already told you we're going to plan a 
church in an area of the country where no one wants one. It's an area of the country where it's at least twice as expensive as here. We've got three kids, plenty of bills, all kinds of uncertainty. Oh, but we have such confidence because we know that if, if something is to be, God is going to cause it. God is going to will it. And if it's not meant to be, he won't do it. It won't be. We don't have to go out and try to secure our future, whatever that means. We don't have to try to do that. We can rest and trust in God's sovereign hand to guide us. We make plans and we should make plans. It's wise to make plans, but God is the one who determines our steps. Proverbs 19:21 Many are the plan many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I want to suggest something to you all and it may sound a little bit off uh, a little bit off the wall to you but I believe you absolutely have sound biblical reasons to do this. The next time that you have a really important decision that you have to make like like the kind of decision where you feel like this could make or break me like this is, a really, this is a really big decision for me and for my family. Seek wise counsel, pray for guidance, ask the Lord to help you. But once you make that decision, I want you to know that you, you can praise God even before you see the results. Even before you know the results of that decision, you can go ahead and praise the Lord. His purpose is going to stand, even if that doesn't look like what we expect. His purpose will stand even if it doesn't look like what we expect. We have reason to praise because we know that God is the one directing our path. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for he is with us. Brothers and sisters, God hasn't just secured our future in terms of of time on this earth, but our future when it comes to our eternity. Isn't it interesting? I mentioned this I don't know, a couple months ago, but it's really been on my mind. It's interesting how we spend so much time thinking about this life here on earth, this life that scripture describes as a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We spend so much time thinking about the here and now and so little thinking about eternity. The reality is we are just pilgrims passing through. Our time on earth is so short. Listen to what Peter says here, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise right there at the beginning. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, in in Jesus Christ, our eternity is absolutely secure. So when you're, you're struggling with life, when you're struggling, remember what is to come and praise God for it. Praise him for it. Mary's song of praise here in Luke 1, it reminds us, indeed it, it demonstrates for us that a soul and a spirit filled with praise, it requires a good memory. We have to remember all that God has done. But you know what? Even if you don't have a good memory, if you forget things all the time, I'm one of those people. 
Here on Sunday morning when we gather together, one of, one of my favorite parts about our gathering is we get to remember with one another, we get to celebrate together what God has done for us. So even if you've, if you've forgotten, one of the, our fellow church members can remind you. One thing that it, it encourages me so much and it leads, leads to praise in my heart is hearing stories from members in our church about the faithfulness of God. You know, the three things that I, I noted, those are sort of like big meta-narrative kind of things for us. But the little mundane, everyday sort of things that God does, those also give us reason for praise. When my, when my one-month-old sleeps for five straight hours, oh, I praise God for that. My wife especially praises God for that. But even when, when the news isn't good, or even when the news brings uncertainty, we can thank him. We can praise him because we trust him. We have confidence in him. And that brings us to the second aspect of the substance of Mary's praise. And that is, she praises God for who he is. Let's read verses 50 to 55 again. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, their, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, each of the characteristics, each of the aspects of God's character, those elicit praise from his people. His goodness, his graciousness, his holiness, his immutability, those things deserve our praise. But it's, it's two things that Mary emphasizes in her praise that I want, want us to focus on. We, we took a little liberty and expanded the thought when we looked at what God has done for us, and now we're going to stick really close to the text. And here we find Mary focusing on the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises. The mercy of God and the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises. There is there's a strong connection between mercy and praise. Strong connection. Even if you just read the rest of Luke chapter 1, and Evan pointed that out for us beautifully at the beginning here, you'll notice that God's mercy to his people and the resulting praise, that is a theme in Luke's gospel. And only a person of great humility will understand the significance of God's mercy. Only a person of great humility will understand the significance of God's mercy. Mercy is by definition shown in situations and to people who do not deserve it. The proud, they never see their need to be shown mercy by God. And it's the proud who are incapable, they're incapable of offering their praise to God. I think about our time in Daniel, the book of Daniel earlier this year, and how we saw God humble the proud kings of Babylon and Persia over and over again. And once they were humbled, they at least offered a lip service praise to God, but their hearts never sung out in praise. Instead, it's the humble, those who see their need for mercy, 
who are most often filled with praise. It's the humble who are the beneficiaries of God's infinite mercy. I love this quote from J.C. Ryle. He writes, a person has as much Christianity as he has humility. A person has as much Christianity as he has humility. And a, a humble spirit gives, up, gives us a glimpse. Having a humble spirit, it gives us a glimpse of the merciful nature of God. And it results in praise from our hearts. Finally, in Mary's song, we see her praising the faithfulness of God. Mary praises the faithfulness of God. Church, God is faithful to all that he's promised. He never breaks a promise. He always keeps his word. And in Mary's womb, as she's praising God, she's, she's literally carrying the fulfillment of the promised mercy of salvation. She's carrying the fulfillment of the greatest promise of God. In Christ, God literally came to fulfill his own promise. He promised Adam and Eve that he would crush the serpent's head. He promised Noah that he would establish a covenant with his people. He promised Abraham that all the nations on earth would be blessed through him. He promised Moses that he would deliver his people. He promised David that his descendant would sit on the throne forever. Church, all the promises of God, they find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the faithfulness of God is on display for the entire world to see. And if you're here today and you're, you're struggling to believe that God is faithful, you're struggling to really grasp that, oh, please open up your Bible and read it. Or have someone else read through the Bible with you. Mary's heart of praise is rooted in Scripture. She clearly knows her Old Testament very well. The faithfulness of God, as we see in Scripture, as we see in our own lives, his faithfulness, his faithfulness demands the praise of his people. Friends, God chooses what is weak to magnify his name. He chooses... A, a teenage girl from a small Middle Eastern town to give birth to the Savior of the world. He chooses broken sinners like you and me to glorify him, to sing his praises. God exalts the humble and he humbles the prideful. I think that's part of the reason that Richard Wormbrand said he never saw a jubilant Christian outside of the persecuted context. The proud heart, it fails to see what God has done. It fails to praise God for who it really is. The proud heart wants the glory and the accolades for itself. Today, as you all know by now, is the first day of Advent. Let's all, let's all let this season be a season of praise as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas a season of praise for all of us. As we fix our gaze upward, we fix it upward on the triune God and we remember all that he's done for us. Remember all that he is. Oh church, let's be people who are filled with praise like the mother of our Lord. You know, each week that we gather for worship, we get a chance we get a chance to remember all that God's done. We get a chance to remember 
all that he is when we celebrate communion. And you should know this already if you've been with us for any significant amount of time, but this meal is by nature celebratory. We're celebrating. We are praising God when we take this meal together. That doesn't mean we have to dance up the aisles as we take communion. That's not what I'm saying. But our, our hearts are praising God as we come forward. Our hearts are praising him as we receive the, the blood and the bread. If you're a Christian, then this meal, it is for you this morning. Come eat and be nourished by the Holy Spirit through faith when you take this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this meal is not for you, this portion of the service. Um, it is for you, though. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to something. I want you to just simply, I want to invite you to simply think about what you've heard today. Think about the claims of Christianity the claim that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's worthy of all our praise and all our devotion. Think that the, the claim is that forgiveness is offered for you through the, the nail-scarred hands of our Lord. And if you have questions, talk to someone before you leave. So communion is going to be served at two stations here at the front. And as you feel led, I invite you to make your way forward and receive the, the body and the blood. And then you can make your way back to your seat and just, just take that uh, as you feel led. We won't take either of those um, together as a church. That's, that's on you once you make it back to your seat. Well, let me pray for us, and then we're going to continue in our worship of God. Heavenly Father, I I feel safe saying that all of us here, we want to be people filled with praise for you. We desire that. We want that. But we need you to do that in our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that you will continue to remind us of who you are, continue to remind us of what you've done for us. Oh, God, and I pray that the result in this church will be lives lived for your glory, lives lived in praise, lives that aren't afraid of bad news, hearts that don't get puffed up with pride when things are going well, but instead just turn and praise you. God, continue to remind us of how desperate we are for your mercy, how much we need you, Jesus. Lord, and I pray that as we begin the Advent season, God, that it will be a time of praise in individuals' hearts, in families' hearts, and in the life of our church. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.